1: We're going to do things rather differently today. I've got a great guest, my friend, Ben Abdi Collins. He has an amazing wealth of experience around helping people deal with loss, bereavement. The title of the show is around dealing with loss in its broadest terms, and everybody in life will have gone through some loss or other. And for many people, that's really poignant at the moment. In fact, in this week, it's poignant for me too, because two very close family members have died in the last week. It's interesting, isn't it? How even when people are you know, getting on in age, one was 82 and one was 87, and it's not a tragedy, it's still very sad and there is still that sense of loss. But I want to talk about loss in a constructive way and loss in the broadest possible way today. And we'd love to know your feelings, your comments and so on. And we hope that what we're offering today will be of help to you if you are facing loss of one sort or another. So let me let me give you Ben's uh, bio. Ben Abdi-Collins, mental dealing with loss and midlife transitions, medical herbalist, civil funeral celebrant. He enables people to creatively find their way through complex times emotions, grief, the losses they face, and he facilitates their goodbyes to both their loved ones and circumstances that they face as problems in their lives. He listens, he mentors, he writes, and he speaks. He seeks solutions in the infinite genius. Um, Sorry about that. That's actually the radio station phoning me back. Um, uh, Sorry about that interruption. Um, So let me read the last bit again. He facilitates uh, the goodbyes to both their loved ones and circumstances they face as problems in their lives. He listens, he mentors, he writes, he speaks, and he seeks solutions in the infinite genius and power of individuals, families and communities. So without more ado, let me welcome Ben Abdi-Collins to come and join me. Good
2: evening. Good evening, Gina. I think it's hot this evening. Excuse me, I'm slightly more flushed than usual. It's called standing around in the sun for a long time doing a funeral service today. So my apologies for being ever so slightly red. But it's a pleasure (laughs) to be here.
0: Pleasure.
1: And it's lovely to have you. It's an interesting topic, isn't it? And I think that for so many people, they tend not to talk about loss, particularly bereavement. You know, if we'd gone back 50 or 100 years, when death was very much a part of daily living. People died of infection, of accident, a whole range of things. You know, if you were under five pounds born at the turn of the last century, you were unlikely to survive beyond the age of five. So we live in a world where our expectation of life is greater. And our capacity to deal with it, I believe, is diminished because... We don't talk about it. It's a taboo subject. And so not only are you dealing with the loss, but you're dealing with the fact that everything's so unfamiliar. We were talking about it earlier today because um, we've had a couple of deaths in the extended family in, in the last week. And you know there was a time when there was a very set grieving process. You know, you don't have to go back too far when you know, everybody wore black and that you grieved for a set amount of time, and the colours that you wore represented where you were in the process. And to an extent, that still happens for some religions now. Um, You know, I have an uncle who was Jewish, and when he died, there was a very strict protocol. And I think for many people that can be helpful. But you have a huge wealth of experience of dealing with people who are dealing with perhaps the most difficult things in their life which is the loss of a loved one. What are your thoughts about how to approach the whole business of losing someone that you love?
2: How long have you got? Well,
1: (laughs) we've got about 45 minutes and I have set aside the whole show, not to just talk about bereavement, but losses of any sort. So
2: the thing is, um, it's very strange actually, many people find that it's possible to have humour at the time of grief, and it, it seems wrong. And um, when I when I'm conduct a funeral service that I've written, there are quite often funny parts to it, and some congregations that I speak to will laugh, and many of them won't, because they think it's inappropriate to laugh during a funeral service. But you, you pointed to history um, not too long ago you know, in England, we used to have the parlour. I think it's the same in the US. You'd have the parlour and you only go in there on special occasions. But if someone died, you would put them in a coffin and you would put the coffin on the parlour table and everyone would come in and they would pay their respects. Yes. They'd have a cup of tea and they would sit around the coffin. Nowadays, people don't do that. We've we've medicalized and scientificised, Ben language, the, the situation of death. and And death is treated as, as certainly dirty, much more so given the the current pandemic scenario that's going on in the world and so we've we've lost the the behaviors and rituals of of normalizing what's happened around the time of death and therefore we've put it beyond ordinary it's an extraordinary experience but if it's every day like it was as you say earlier earlier in, in life earlier in time people didn't treat it so preciously as we do now i think we've we've got stuck in this thing of i'm immortal i don't have problems i don't i don't i don't deal with things like that and that actually becomes a huge barrier to the conversations that we could ought should two words to avoid ought and should actually discuss because if we don't All that happens is that we get a pressure inside. If you look at the mental health statistics these days, they are frightening. And most of them come from the denial of the anger, the denial of the grief, the denial of the fact that I am frightened, from which a lot of anger comes from. And if I am frightened as a human being and I make up a a percentage of the population who also might be frightened and also angry and therefore anxious and depressed, hence antidepressants that go on the the psychiatric units that are busy the mental health departments and so on and so forth they're missing a trick they're missing that whole thing of human engagement because when we engage when we listen Mm -hmm. when we love and we turn a listening ear yes i'm biased true look at my name Mm -hmm. but it is when we build that relationship with someone else's heart rather than trying to get into someone else's head then we have the possibility of doing something remarkable and special and unique in the relationship we have with each other because at that point we can be empathetic and compassionate. So only when we do it in that sort of way, in my personal opinion, it is purely my opinion, then we have an opportunity, then we have a possibility to have the conversations about why did someone that we loved and cared for commit suicide? Why did someone we know and loved and cared for drink themselves to death. Why did we lose a younger sibling under the most remarkable circumstances? Why was someone's life foreshortened from what we hoped it was going mm. to be? These are th- some of these things are services I've got currently got in process or partly, as you'll recognize, the conversations that you and I have had mm. because of your own circumstances of life. Life is often very complex but we can make it simpler by having these constructive, mm. considered, compassionate, understanding conversations because someone actually listens. I think the world this is, of sound bites, no one listens.
1: I think this is true of life in its entirety. Mm. We're talking about loss, but it's true mm. for everything. Mm. There are a few things I want to pick up there. And the I think the often we don't know what to say. You know, people, I've heard that term, I just don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting when you look at the reactions. I'm thinking of a friend now, Trixie, a great friend, and her father died. And one of the things that upset her, actually more than his death, was that the certain people that she considered close friends avoided her. And she went back to work, she was a teacher, and she went back to, to work, and it was as if nothing had happened. Nobody mentioned, nobody said, sorry about your dad. That's all it would take, are, are you okay? It was as if the waters had closed over the event and it had never happened. And I think of other situations, uh, Ben was alluding, I think, to the fact that my brother at the age of 49 went out to, um, to do the London to Brighton cycle race last practice and just dropped dead. He fell off his bike. He had medics who were in his his team who were running for, uh, uh, cycling for charity. In fact, for the British Heart Foundation. Um, but they couldn't resuscitate him. He was dead before he hit the floor. And there was a seemingly incredibly healthy guy. Did lots of sport. Looked after himself. And bigger than life. And suddenly he wasn't there. And through my life, I've had many bereavements of of people close to me. But each one is quite unique. The circumstances, the how it makes you feel, the how other people deal with you. And I think if you're listening to this and you are, uh, you are not necessarily the bereaved person, but somebody who knows someone who's lost a loved one, all you need to do is to just listen, is to say, I haven't got the right words, but I'm here and I will listen. And that is, that's is—that's just gold, that's treasure, isn't it? Yeah, I mean,
2: okay, I i, 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 I balk at saying this, but I'm in the trade, um, and I have no idea what to say to people. I thought when I trained in bereavement care, I would know what to say. I know less about what to say now than I did at the beginning of training. i I talk to people about having lost their person in order to be able to represent that in a funeral service which means i've i've only yesterday i was talking to someone she came home and her loving funny caring beautiful man was hanging by the neck what do... i did not know i did not know not <laughs> i didn't know what to say if i sound like i'm falling over my words it's because i did not know what to say i did i didn't use that i didn't talk about that i just Said, so, look, you know, I'm here to help you. It's about simplicity. It's about creating a beautiful service. I didn't bring in what had happened. Yeah. Because it's not appropriate. I, I just needed to be possibly a slightly bumbling, caring individual that reached out to connect with someone who is hurting massively. Mm. You know? It, three weeks ago she had a she had a bloke. Three weeks ago she didn't have a bloke
1: that it was just it. seems to me that holding the space for someone mm. authentically mm. and really just being in that space with them and allowing them to pour forth whatever needs to come no judgment no filters no um, second guessing just being is one of the most powerful things
2: that you can do for people. Sure. And, and you know, I, I'm i I'm constantly an observer. It, mm-hmm. it, it's one of the things that I do all of the time I observe. And something I've noticed when I was working face-to-face with families, obviously I, I I haven't been during pandemic, but I would find within five to 10 minutes of meeting the family face-to-face, sitting down with a cup of tea or whatever we were doing, there would be a little bit of a chuckle or a little bit of a laugh. I have no idea what happened before that, that thing, yeah. but it broke the ice. And, and, and sometimes it's, I ask the occasionally slightly obtuse question or the slightly a daft question. Mm. I, I, I don't, I don't make statement of like, well, that was no. a stupid thing to do, but I will ask was, did they ever do anything daft or are there any situations when this happened or that happened? Because they begin to get involved in the personality of the quirks or the habits or the hobbies or the interests of the individual because they will make up life our personalities and how we're ever so slightly eccentric i will admit i'm not slightly eccentric i'm probably very eccentric just take
1: away the probably then just (laughs) (laughs) but but it
2: makes for creating a relationship And if you actually look at many coaches, many therapists, we tend to have worked on ourselves. We tend to recognize that we're slight oddballs. But because we're slight oddballs, we can connect with the genuinely oddball aspects of the people who consider themselves to be sane and struggling and suffering. And loss, as you've said, in a greater context, turns up in so many other ways beyond the grief we associate with bereavement. Um, and I, I think that's that's an important part because that lack of recognition that the two of them are powerfully connected, mm. I think they, they have a dynamic between them that is scarily strong. Um, and I think it's something that we need to tra- break the taboo, taboo yeah. of in this conversation. So where would you like to go, Gina, please? I know it's a passion of yours as well.
1: Well, I'm going to we're going to have a break in a couple of minutes and Surely. we're going to talk about loss in the broader sense um mm. after the break but before we do humor is an interesting one sure. I I don't know whether it's just our family but humor has always been very prevalent and certainly and we've we've had a, a, a quite a large number of losses over the years it's humor that has broken that sense of doom and I don't think I can cope with it and then somebody would crack a joke or somebody would find something that actually wasn't very funny but find it funny and start to laugh and everybody would join in. And I think one of the things that has always helped our family is looking to celebrate the person's life. Hmm. Who were they? You know, what sort of person were they are? What was their legacy? And I don't mean the legacy in terms of the crown jewels, but in terms of the people that they touched. And going back to my brother, who died very suddenly, his funeral was probably one of the best days of my life, paradoxically, and one of the worst days of my life. Mm. And hundreds of people turned up to his funeral service. They couldn't fit in the church, they were outside. It was a beautiful day, Uh, it was very early June, uh, late June um, and the skylarks were singing and as we went down to where he'd chosen to have a burial, um, nature was at its very, very best. We went off to the wake and all the way through the afternoon, people were coming up to me and saying, you don't know me and I didn't know your brother very well but he helped me out, or you don't know this, um, but David did this, and he didn't say anything to anybody, but he came and he rescued me or he helped me, and it was those seemingly small acts of kindness, of compassion, of thoughtfulness that made the big difference, and it was one of the things that really helped me after he died, which was to really reassess what was important in life, and unusually for a guy, one of the things that David was very good at was keeping in touch with friends and family. But he did it in a very specific way. And my brother was very irreverent. And I'll tell you a funny story um, about um, him and my dad in a moment. Um, and ultimately, with all of, of, of David's, and it could be incredibly annoying, that recognizing that his messages, which would say, just love you, you know, L-U-V-Y-A, five letters, that it meant such a lot because you knew that he was thinking of you. And so if you're listening to this, please get in touch with people, talk to people, send them a text, tell them that you love them, tell them you care, tell them you appreciate them and do it often, because it was one of the things that really helped me. You know, have no regrets. Don't wish you had had um, made up with the people that you hadn't spoken to. I'm reminded of a friend who was estranged from her dad, and I, she was getting married, and I said, please, please, you know, make contact with your father, and even if he's not walking you up the aisle, invite him to come to the wedding. She did, and two weeks later, he died, and so she had didn't have to deal with all of the regrets that she hadn't actually made contact with him. But before we go to the break, I'm going to share a story. Uh, it's a typical family story, I have to say. My father had died the year before. Um, he was almost 89. So at his age, you know, he he was healthy right up until very close to the end. So he'd had a great life. Um, and I didn't collect his ashes, he was cremated. And then a year later, just over a year later, my brother died. And it was decided that he was going to be buried. And so we decided that we'd put my dad's ashes in with the coffin. So I collected the ashes. And the first thing that I did is that I was driving up um, to go and stay with my sister, ready for the funeral the next day. And I left the ashes behind and I had to come all the way back and pick them up. And I could hear my father's voice saying, there she goes again. You'd forget your head if it wasn't screwed on. And that made me chuckle. And then we went to put the ashes in the coffin and the only place that they would fit was between David's feet. And it was a standing joke. My father was always teasing my brother about his smelly feet and when he was a teenager. And it tickled the family no end to think that in perpetuity that his ashes were between my brother's feet. Um, and it just made us laugh. And I think that when you can find the humor in things it is a great leveler and a great lightener so we're going to talk about loss in the broadest sense after the break so don't go away and we've got much more for you
0: you have been listening to Gina Gardner on leadership for life we'll be back after this quick break Want to get the best out of life personally and professionally? Are you ready to step into a life which excites and fulfills you? Well, the right place for you is Leadership for Life with Gina Gardner on W4CY Radio and Talk 4 TV. We will share with you stories from inspiring people, a wide range of guest experts and lots of practical strategies to help you get the very best out of your personal and professional life. Leadership for Life is a radio and TV show focused on helping you live a happier, more successful, and fulfilling life. Join international best-selling author, motivational speaker, empowerment and transformational leadership coach and trainer, Gina Gardner, live every Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on W4CY Radio and Talk4TV. become the leader of your own life gina gardner's number one international best-selling book thriving not surviving the five secret pathways to happiness success and fulfillment provides you with the foundational principles on which to become the best leader of your own life it's available as an ebook paperback hardback and as an audio from genuinely hyphen or also from amazon every one of the principles have been proven to work for the countless people who have used them including the author now let's put them to work for you if you're ready to discover your true leadership life design accelerate your journey with an invitation to join gina for leadership for life vip day choose your journey of self-discovery where gina will help you navigate your way to happiness success and fulfillment to find out more, email gina at genuinely-u.com. Welcome back to Leadership for Life. Here is your host,
1: Gina Gardner. Lovely to have you back. And in this half of the show, we're going to be talking about loss in its broader sense. We've been talking about bereavement. I don't want to in any way um, close off the conversation about bereavement, but We were talking before the show about how many people have an expectation of how life will be and then it doesn't turn out as you want it. And there's that sense of loss and very often bereavement. And at a personal level, I've got lots of examples of this, but I've also worked with many people who've been made redundant or who have become disabled or, um, you know, they've lost their house or um, they've lost a relationship that's broken down. And so loss comes in so many different forms. I know that one of the um, parts of the conversation we had was with with service children who are pulled from place to place, who lose their friends, lose their sense of of, of stability. So when you think about loss in the broadest sense then, what are your thoughts?
2: I I was born into a naval a royal naval family in Scotland. Um I it was the 19, it was 1964 and in the 60s if uh, if you suffered from postnatal depression you were put into or you were held within a, a psychiatric unit um to keep your child safe just in case because I was breastfed therefore my mum couldn't be given any um medicines because I needed to be fed and cared for so I lived on a psychiatric ward pretty soon after being born at home then my father was was scheduled to move to the south coast of England so we left Scotland went to the south coast of England stayed in quarters my dad realized that if he stayed in the navy he would never have a home so he bought a house we lived there and then when I was four they started filling me with vaccines to go and live in Nigeria So we lived in in lagos in nigeria just before my seventh birthday returned back to the uk um, for decimalization and my first experience of snow so began a life of, of a lot of change and i changed countries i mean as anyone will know if you go and live in a country that's in south america um the african countries or the middle or far east they are very very different places to the uk and it it's a bit of an adventure but it's also quite unsettling so by the time i've hit seven i've lived at something like seven different addresses you know um by the time i hit 40 i've lived at 41. goodness me but i've I've been here now for almost 17 years so you know and and it, and i've been to something like eight or nine schools and colleges i've done this i've done that you know it's it's a lot of change and i i i'm not i'm not unique i'm one of millions of kids in the world who either are as the americans call them military brats um missionary kids uh, foreign service brats U, um uk forces kids there's a term for us now which is actually called third culture kids where we're born into one culture we live in another one but we make our own version out of it. So you might find someone um, is born in um, Mbala. I know I met someone who's born in Mbala. I think her father was out there for economic reasons, but she was told she was English, but she only came to England later on. Or my cousin was made and born in Nigeria, uh, made made in Nigeria, born in the UK, I believe, stayed in Nigeria until he was of boarding school age, then brought himself up in boarding school when there was no phones. You got a little blue air mail letter once a week or once a month. But that was it, that was his life. You know, he he saw more of my grand of our grandmother because she was in the same town as the boarding school. But that was it, that was his life. And he would see his parents occasionally at Christmas and each summer. And that he had to make his own culture. And and many kids do that. I'm sorry, Gina, go.
1: I was going to say, what I've done a lot of work um, with um, social workers, foster care children, and with schools. And, you know, I think about the life chances of children who are in foster care. And because they are uprooted, they don't have any stability, that they are often, certainly in the UK, moved from pillar to post. They don't go to one foster home and stay. They're often moved about for all sorts of reasons. And you, know, at the time when children are up, they're most vulnerable, you need stability more than anything, because that's when they're learning who they are and about the world. And how, you know, I've worked with many people who've been to boarding school, for example, who have been military brats, and I know you have, and their sense of self very often well, one of two things happens. Either they, be, through the experience, they become incredibly strong and uh, cope very well because they have become self sufficient, or they struggle and they look for um, anesthetics like food or alcohol or drugs, sex, shopping, whatever. Um, and I think, you know, those people who are watching or listening this, if you are someone who's been through that third culture child experience and you're struggling, then you really need to reach out and get some help because yes. it can be so damaging.
2: And the thing is, it's this whole thing of vulnerability, This is this is what we're actually talking about here in so many different respects. We... As as human beings are vulnerable,
1: we are indeed. From the
2: moment that we are born, we're not Bambi. We're not on some plane waiting to run away from a tiger. If we're on a plane, it's a it's a lion, isn't it? If it's jungle, it's a tiger. But you know, it, we yeah. are vulnerable, and we build codependent bonds with other people yes. for our own survival. Yes. It's breast milk for mummy. It's nappies changed. It's making sure that we are we are safe yeah. and secure. If we are um, if we are having those bonds of, of health, healthy-ish attachment challenged, we become very challenged, and then it's very confusing. Uh, mm-hmm. It's confusing enough to grow up in any family, but when the bonds aren't there, it is far more confusing. This is what I think what you're pointing to here with um, foster kids. They don't get that opportunity yeah. to bond. And I think if, if, if you're a military kid or a foreign service brat, or a missionary kid, you're constantly going through change. Every time you get used to something, it shifts. So you might you might be with parents in the same place for 25 years, yes. but it's backwards and forwards to boarding school, it's backwards and forwards to hospital, it's backwards and forwards to... And it's all in the name of what someone else feels it should be done, whether or not it's an economic reason, a political reason, a military reason, or in the name of the, the theism that is part of the missionary. So whether or not it's it's Christian or whether or not it's Muslim, whatever it is, it's fundamentally a challenge to the child who then feels guilty for trying to buck the system and go, hey, I have needs too. As foster kids all do. Hey, I have needs too. I am feeling vulnerable. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to cope with it. This is scaring me. So I get anxious. I act out. I take drugs. I... Or I get I get tough, which is as you say, it's the other reaction or response. And some of the most remarkable people on the planet are people who come from broken backgrounds of and course. they've made good. But I'm like many other people. I'm a highly sensitive individual. Yeah. I naturally am an empath. It means I feel stuff, and I feel stuff more than perhaps an average person does.
1: Well, i was going to say many other people do. You, know, you feel each of us feels in our own particular way. Again, there's a lot to unpack. um, And I would say there's a lot of science now around attachment disorder in children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they think that that, uh, uh, approximately a third, I suspect it's higher um, after the pandemic, of of young children and young people have attachment disorders. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, attachment disorder isn't only about the relationship the person has with them and with others. But also your capacity to know right from wrong, to understand cause and consequence, to recognise the, um, the implications of time, for example, and so they, the knock-on effect on on people's life chances is so much bigger than what people recognise. You know, old kids are resilient; they'll deal with the move. That's not a problem. But in the end. They either become very gregarious, but don't actually form lasting relationships. Because what's the point? Because we're moving in four months' time. And so they they skid along the surface of relationships, or they make a relationship, and then they go through the bereavement process because that relationship struggles to last over distance and over time.
2: Sure, sure. I mean, I, I... my my name covered it up but I did a very big shrug a short while ago because for the sensitive child of which I'm not unique I just mine. this sort of stuff it is it is a demonizing process on a daily basis it literally it, it causes a problem because we talk about the community outside of ourselves and the connections that we have and we talk about family but what we forget is that we have a community indoors as well. And some of when you were talking about attachment theory and attachment dysfunction, it's the, the relationships within the community within inside the self is dysfunctional. Yes. Then there is no attachment to oneself. Therefore, there is no rooting. Therefore, there is no place in the world because all that you and I and other practitioners of a similar sort of ilk are doing is seeking to bring the rootedness back into the individual. Because place don't have no meaning if there ain't no rooting. I know that's not good English, but most of us, I think, understand where I'm coming from.
1: That sense of self, that Mm. sense of who we are, Mm. is the central tenant on which everything is built. And when that is built um, on shaky foundations, it makes everything more difficult. But if you take the same principles of fear and anxiety and you put that into the situation for military children who they're saying goodbye to mummy or daddy, and it's not as if they have any certainty whether they're going to see them again. And so they're not only dealing with the absence of a parent, but the consistent anxiety as to whether that parent is actually going to return. Sure. So you add layer upon layer upon layer of uncertainty. And one thing that we all require is that sense of security, safety, survival.
2: Without which we feel vulnerable.
1: Now, I really want to, What we could spend a whole what, a week talking okay. about this. Only a week. Only a week. A lifetime, yeah. <laughs> but I want to, to broaden it out to different mm. sorts of laws. Mm. So, uh, my family, has I should think like any other family, when you scratch the surface, there's all sorts of things going on. So when my sister, uh, my sister has two children, and when Matthew, the eldest one, was five, he was diagnosed with a very, very rare condition, um, life-limiting and um, uh, progressive, uh, mentally and physically disabling, and, Very sadly, the youngest one who was very lively at one and a half was diagnosed with the same thing. And I, you know, I watched my sister and her husband cope with the fact that their dreams and expectations for healthy children who would go through school and go to university and get married and have grandchildren um, was in the moment of discovering what was wrong with them. That whole dream was completely annihilated. And I'm very proud of the way that they've dealt with what has been an incredibly difficult situation. But I'm reminded of a conversation I had with my sister and she doesn't talk about it very often, but said to her, how does it feel? And she said, well, you know, imagine you're going on a holiday to Hawaii and you're all packed and you're all excited and you're going and you're raring to go and you're going to Hawaii and you get off the plane and you're not in Hawaii, that you're actually in Rotterdam, in the industrial part, and it's flat and it's industrial and it's gray. And she said, the interesting thing is that over time, you accommodate and you get to be very fond of Rotterdam. It's not Hawaii and it doesn't have the vibrant life and all of that Hawaii was gonna offer you, but actually it's still very special. And that seemed to me a really wise way of looking at things because, you know, disappointments in our life. You know, as you know, I'm a wheelchair user. When I fell down the mountain, I didn't know that my life was going to be changed. And there was a period of loss and bereavement. But the gifts that have come out of it have been incredible. You know, the unique leadership programme has come out of necessity because I couldn't physically get into the rooms so people had to take responsibility. You know, people are made redundant. How many people have you worked with who've been made redundant and two years later you talk to them and they say, it's the best thing that ever happened. It gave me an opportunity to re-evaluate what was important. And so our dealing with loss, recognising that loss is a part of life, even the language is interesting, isn't it? When you... Well, we haven't lost somebody, they're not lost, we know where they are, we know what's happened. So, in your work with people, what help do you offer them when they come to you for a transition because they're grieving that life isn't quite as they wanted?
2: With your introduction to that question, it, I, I was sitting here remembering. Uh, uh, a a sort of remembering a zen proverb is that um the the blocks of life and are not blocks they are the way they are the path and it is fascinating to see that um when we feel vulnerable we feel that we have blocks in our way and we feel that we cannot cope and that actually is something that we shouldn't be suffering from. So there's often a guilt or a shame, or there's an avoidance process, which is what you've pointed to in in, in several different ways in which you've talked during this thing. And the first thing I do is I accept someone. Mm -hmm. And, And I listen, provide love, provide care, and I seek to earth what they're feeling and tell them it's all right to feel flaky in some way, shape, manner, or form, and be caring. And that's about it. It's about kindness. It's about compassion. And then, if we do, if that is present and we have that in our communication, myself and my client, then things begin to change because their perception has a chance to shift from I'm broken to I might be dysfunctional. I might be weird. But you know what? I'm actually okay and I can do something about it.
1: That's really wise, I think. For me, I think one of the the shifts in focus is from what you haven't got to what you have.
2: Yeah, well, you've got Rotterdam. All right, it's not Hawaii, but you've got your kids. Stuff has happened. It It ain't right, but you can still make the best of it. I think what happens is people get caught up with, I haven't got, I want more, I want different. Therefore they lose 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of life and potential to be something remarkable because something isn't what I want.
1: So for me, there are certain emotional states that really help this. Mm. One is the state of gratitude for what you have. Yes. And I think, you know, even those who have, I've worked with who've been incredibly depressed and anxious when they start to collect gratitudes and make that part of their daily practice, they, there's a recalibration of their, their brain and they start to focus on, on the positives in life rather than the negatives. And you always get more of what you focus on. So the more you focus on the positive, the more that, uh, that happens. But the other thing I think is forgiveness. And I think, you know, whether you're dealing with people who've been abused or this being abused by the system, and in a sense, the third uh, third culture children, in mm-hmm. a sense, have been abused by the system, is recognising that actually holding on to the hurt and the frustration and all of those things does nothing but keep you stuck in in the, the power of the past rather than moving forward. Um, because ultimately, when you start to forgive yourself and others, you let go of those chains, you you break those chains and you can move forward. But transitions are interesting, aren't they? Because there are few constants in life. You know, we've got death, that's a constant, because from the moment we've born, we know at some point we're going to die. Taxes, because if you live, particularly in the Western world, somebody's going to tax you. And the third is change. That you know that we are changing from the moment we are conceived right the way through to the moment that we die. And yet we struggle with those transitions, don't we?
2: Well, it's that big river in ethical denial. It is the joke that stands in the 12-step programmes, but we deny things, I think. Mm-hmm. I think we have so we've become stuck in our heads in the West, and I think we try to infect other countries with the same sort of thing. If I stay in my head, I'll be safe. Yeah. I can deny things exist. I can deny my feelings, I can deny this, I can outthink stuff, and I can I can time manage, I can manage my stuff, I can do what I want. But look at the people who snort stuff, drink stuff, have dysfunctional behaviors that we put po- you, you pointed so to so clearly early on in the conversation. They are attempted adaptations of trying to suppress everything and keep a lid on it it ain't healthy no it's a simple line of
1: all of this it's like trying to keep a dragon in a box oh, absolutely. and the minute that the box starts to move that actually keeping that dragon down is nigh on impossible sure i find it interesting that people talk about positive emotions and negative emotions and i have to say in many ways it's an easy description but I think a lot of the emotions that people um, designate as being negative are there to um, offer us the opportunity to learn about ourselves or the world. And that when we deny them, they gather strength. Yeah. Whereas if you acknowledge them and sit with them and just allow them to be what they are, It's not the emotion itself. It's what you do with it that makes the difference. So anger in and of itself is not negative. But if you are aggressive and you go and hurt somebody, then that behavior is negative. So I think dealing with with the grief that life has not turned out as you wanted, the grief of a relationship um, going wrong and dissolving, whether that relationship is... Um, with a child, a parent, um, an intimate relationship with your partner, or your boss or one of your colleagues. You know, ultimately, you're the common denominator. You decide how you deal with things. And it's not the challenge that defines us. It's what you do with it. Many, many people get stuck in their heads, as you say, tunnel vision, uh, and they can't see past the fact that somebody's been unfair or somebody's hurt them or something just doesn't fit right and so the damage that's done by the initial assault of whatever that was and I don't mean a physical assault the emotional assault continues and becomes deeper and wider and and more difficult to deal with
2: well I I think uh, this is a conversation we could as we could as you said we could have for a long time but I think personally it comes down to our perception is everything yeah if we change our perception and realise within the challenge there is a beautiful gift and a possible solution that can make all the difference in the world, we've got a good start point, but it all starts with someone listens. Someone listens to themselves or someone outside of them listens and pays attention to the fact they need to say something.
1: So what I would say to all of you, if you're watching this or listening this thing, um, the, the, um, the download, is... Give someone the gift of your time, of your truly actively listening. No phone, no looking at the telly, no thinking about the shopping list. Just be there for them. Now, we've got very few minutes left. And one of the things that we do on um, Leadership in Life is I invite every guest to choose um, one of the projects from B1G1. B1, buy one, give one. Uh, and we are very pleased to be uh, members of B1G1. And you were offered the three options, and you chose um, giving water, clean water. What made you choose that, Ben?
2: Water. Without water, we die. And I've lived in I've lived in an African country, and I know how complicated it is. And how essential it is to make sure that someone is able to drink and to be able to live. And I think it's the most appropriate thing to do.
1: And so um, what we are going to do is to donate some funds towards a project in Tanzania um, to provide um, a well, a rope pump well, so that they will actually have clean water. And so they don't have to go miles carrying water and then it be unclean and disease ridden. So thank you very much for that. Uh, remember that every listener to B1G1, for every 100 listeners we give um, free meals uh, through B1G1, if you're a business owner and you would like um, to become a member of B1G1, mm-hmm. in the show notes you'll find uh, the Leadership for Life code. And if you use that code, then what you do um, gets seen as part uh, 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 the impacts. They call them impacts. Every little thing that you do is called an impact. Um, and we get to see just how far we fertilised uh, the idea of giving um, by through the show. So please do make sure that you get other people to download the show, um, whether it's the TV on uh, YouTube, leadership W4CY for, for Leadership for Life, or on any of the major podcast platforms. And every time it's downloaded, it goes towards the count, and we give free meals. Um, or join, and they've separated the impacts to make them very affordable. They have a sister charity that that raises all of the money for the admin, so every penny that we donate goes towards one of the projects. They're very well vetted, and they make sure that the money goes to the right place. So, it remains for me to say a huge thank you, Ben. Um, Ben, where can people get hold of you?
2: Well, um, BenAbdeCollins.com. So my name, oh, here we go. It's flashed up. So Ben, B-E-N-N-A-B-D-Y-Collins.com. Best Um, thing to do, and my email address is Ben at BenAbdeCollins. If you get B-E-N-N at B-E-N-N-A-B-D-Y-Collins.com, drop me a message. Best way to do it.
1: And there's lots of free resources to help you at genuinely-u.com. Lots of programs for you to engage in as a leader or as an empath on GinaGardnerAssociates.co.uk. But do reach out. If you want to have a chat with me, then it's gina at genuinely-u.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. But thank you very much. If you are suffering from loss, then do reach out. Um, Sending you lots of love. Thanks, Ben. Take care and we'll see you next week. Thanks very much. Whatever, become the leader of your own life.